John Bogle is in hot water. Just four years prior, he was made chairman of the Wellington Fund, one of the largest asset management firms in the country, replacing his longtime mentor Walter Morgan after 19 years of working in the company. His appointment to the position of chairman was partly due to his reputation as a young, hot, energetic talent in the field of finance. But on this very day, Bogle enters the office as chairman for the last time, even though he is only 45 years old. After approving a disastrous merger that resulted in company losses of over 80%, the board of directors decides to fire him. You're fired. Bogle is devastated. If it was anyone else, such a rapid fall from grace would leave them at best a chimp working for pennies for the rest of their life. But not for John Bogle. Not for America's acid rock star. Let's meet one of the investment greats, Jack Bogle, pioneering founder of the Vanguard Funds and creator of Index Mutual Funds. Jack has spent his entire career crusading to change Wall Street, corporate America, and the mutual fund industry to give individual investors a better deal. I estimate that Jack, at a minimum, has saved, left in the pockets of investors, he's put tens and tens and tens of billions into their pockets, and those numbers are going to be hundreds and hundreds of billions over time. And Warren is right. John would become so big, his success would eclipse the Wellington Group, his former mentor Walter Morgan and Wall Street itself. Jack Bogle has probably done more for the American investor than any man in the country. When speaking of investors and other legends in the finance community, we are often confronted with kings of capital, captains of industry, wolves of Wall Street, and other such titles which indicate ruthless tactics used to reach success. But John Bogle stands out from the crowd as the messiah of investment, preaching the good word of index funds. He's a true finance Jesus. Bogle is a champion of investors, getting their fair share for the risks they take. We've changed a a good form of capitalism. We call it owner's capitalism in Mm -hmm. the book, where the rewards of capitalism go to the people that take the risk and put up the capital, to a new system, pathological mutation, I call it in the book, to manager's capitalism, where far too large a share of the rewards are taken by corporate managers, by Wall Street, and by mutual fund managers. So that means that investors that put up all the money, you know, basically Mr. and Mrs. America aren't getting their fair share of the returns that capitalism generates. John Bogle single-handedly pioneers the concept of index funds. Think the S&P 500, NASDAQ 100 and BlackRock. But more importantly, he creates his own group, seemingly behind the scenes, which outclasses them all, managing trillions of dollars in assets every single day. But how did Bogle go from zero to hero? It all depends on what he does now, as he's fired and scraping by on the streets. While it seems like Bogle is at his worst after being fired, this is actually a blessing in disguise. As you will find, 
Bogle's condition in 1974 is not too different from how he grew up, because those conditions were less than ideal. It's the 1920s. World War I is over. Trade with countries the Americans were formerly at war with is back on the table. Times are flashy and people are flush with cash. Millions of ordinary Americans are actively taking part in stock trading to grow their wealth. Credit is cheap and easy to come by. Many take out loans to be part of the booming industry. What could ever go wrong? However, by the end of the decade in 1928, investors start to realize that this high growth is an illusion and they begin to bet against the stock market. In 1929, years of booming prosperity ended in catastrophe. It was the biggest stock market crash since records began. What in the world is happening on Wall Street? New York, October 1929. Everything was calm and peaceful in this great city. Then suddenly the bottom dropped out of Wall Street. Stock prices, one man declared, have reached what looks like a permanently high plateau. And then the bottom fell out. Initially, it is only the top investors who realize this critical mistake. But soon, the 1920s Wall Street bets degenerates catch wind of this and pull out massively from the stock market. This rapid U-turn comes to a head on Black Thursday, October 24, 1929, as the bubble bursts. The stock market crashes after over 12.9 million shares get sold in the New York Stock Exchange from the panic over just one day. In less than two hours, nearly $10 billion invested in stocks was simply wiped out. Overnight, industries collapse left and right. Unemployment rises to 23%, leaving more than 12.8 million Americans without a source of income. People who had taken out loans are now left with nothing. At a time when one-third of Americans work in agriculture, crop prices fall by over 60%. It's an economic apocalypse. Over the course of the Great Depression from 1929 to 1932, global GDP fell by around 15%. For reference, the 2008 recession would only see a fall of around 1%. How could anyone rise from such a situation? John is born on May 8, 1929 in Montclair, New Jersey, mere months before that disastrous October. Coming from a lower-class family in New Jersey, his family is hit hard by the depression. They sell their home and John's father slips into alcoholism, eventually divorcing his mother. With such a broken household, it would be expected that the best John could achieve in life would be some 1930s version of an Excel monkey. However, John and his two brothers are not going to let a small thing like the worst economic crisis of the century get in their way. John and his twin David, knowing that a strong education is their golden ticket out of the shithole, now set about becoming the highest scoring students in their school. This enables them to transfer to the prestigious Blair Academy with work scholarships. And Bogle keeps adding more and more titles and glorifications to his academic career. 
1947, Vogel is accepted into Princeton University after graduating cum laude from Blair. 1951, Vogel graduates magna cum laude from Princeton with a degree in investment and economics. 1952, Vogel is offered a position at the Wellington Fund. Unlike the rich money trust fund baby chimps that made up most of his classmates at Princeton, the giga chat in the making that is Bogle understands the kind of hard work it takes to get to where he wants to go. This will prove a critical component on his path to success. Bogle's time at Princeton is when he gains an interest for index funds, which up until this point in time have been a very niche field of economic exploration. Bogle's determination and talent are visible in his senior 130-page final thesis he publishes about the investment companies in the economy. No one ever had done a thesis on it before. It was an unknown business, essentially. Being one of the first to write on index funds, it greatly helped propel his career. Coupled with his ambition is his interest in the newly emerging field of index funds. The industry was described as tiny but contentious. Its total assets were around two or two and a half billion. And I thought, well, by God, I'm tiny and I'm contentious <laughs> and no one's ever written on this before. Bogle's rising talent in Princeton is spotted by Walter Morgan, the head of Wellington Group. Morgan is also a Princeton graduate who has an equally impressive academic background as Bogle. Having graduated from Princeton in 1920, Morgan became the youngest certified public accountant in Pennsylvania. He gathers $100,000 in funding throughout the 1920s to establish the Industrial and Power Securities Company in 1928. By 1933, Morgan has rebranded into the Wellington Group in Boston, creating the first balanced mutual fund in the United States. The Wellington Group is a financial advisory group which helps manage the assets of its clients and offers investment advice to grow clients' assets. By 1951, Wellington is one of the biggest players in the American investment advisory industry, a real alpha among the Wall Street monkeys. Spotting potential in the new generation of Princeton graduates, Morgan handpicks John Bogle after reading his thesis. So you see, it makes sense to write a good thesis. All of a sudden, Bogle is now the apprentice of one of the most successful people in American finance. By 1955, he's ready to take a more active role in the company and becomes assistant manager, now able to offer investment advice on behalf of the company. But he doesn't stop there. Bogle's influence and charisma in the company leads to some major changes that will have wide-reaching consequences for his career and for the investment world. Having read the newly published works of the award-winning economist and certified GigaChat Nobel Prize winner Paul Samuelson, Bogle starts to see an opportunity in establishing a so-called passive fund, one that is tied to the performance of the S&P 500. He proposes his idea to the team at Wellington Fund and they make the best decision of their lives. They accept. Wellington Fund is going to ditch its old strategy of concentrating on a single fund and create a completely new passive fund tied to the performance of the S&P 500. With the success of this advice, Bogle once again climbs the ranks of the Wellington Group. And something else helps him ascend. 
He successfully paves the way for the company to merge with the Boston-based investment management firm Thorndike, Doran, Payne and Lewis. This deal cements Bogle's position as future leader of the company and by 1967, around 15 years after starting his career, he is made president of Wellington Group. How can you top that? Exactly. Only the chairman sits on top of the president in the dominance hierarchy. And finally, in 1970, as the crowning achievement to his meteoric career, John Bogle officially becomes the top dog in the company, as he replaces his former mentor Walter Morgan to become chairman of the Wellington Group. At this very point in time, at the zenith of his power and prestige in a company he worked at for nearly two decades. It is here, brethren, where we would expect to start calling John Bogle a true legendary silverback, first class. However, everything starts to go downhill from here. Bogle's promotion comes with the heavy task of trying to save the Wellington Fund from imminent collapse. And as my great mentor Walter Morgan said, I was too conservative for that, those times. And he therefore asked me, therefore on his part, asked me to take over the company. And as he said, do whatever it takes to get it fixed. Without the steady hand of Morgan to guide him, Bogle starts to take on more risky moves and investments. At the same time, the merger Bogle had pushed through is proving disastrous for the fund. These factors combined lead to a disaster for Bogle's career. In 1974 it happens. Bogle is voted out of the company by the board of directors. And for his entire life, Bogle claims that moment as being his biggest mistake. My biggest mistake was when I was in charge of Wellington Management Company in 1965 and stock owner, I was going to be the heir to his stock, uh, control the company. He said, Dude, this company's in real trouble and we're too conservative. And he said, do whatever it takes to fix it. And so I did a merger. I bet everything on a group of young, aggressive money managers with a pension business, with a hot mutual fund and with the presumptive talents to improve Wellington funds. It was slipping a lot in those days, the conservative Wellington. And that fell totally apart. Uh, their pension business pretty much went away. And the Wellington fund was virtually ruined. Its assets dropped from its performance was the poorest among all balanced funds. It should never happen because we have such low cost. We should win on cost alone. And, uh, and was made much too aggressive. And the assets went from $2 billion to $400 million, 80% loss. Where others would seek revenge, Bogle recognizes this as a learning opportunity. He lets his actions do the talking and is ready to repent for his short-sighted sins. Having been born at a young age into poverty, he is ready to make more risky but potentially rewarding moves. Well, the lesson I learned is there's no such thing as a permanently good investment manager. In 1974, Bogle starts the Vanguard Fund. Bogle chooses to name after the legendary flagship of Admiral Horatio Nelson, the legendary British Admiral who is famous for fighting against the French in the Battle of the Nile, absolutely shattering the French Navy in Egypt. His ship 
The HMS Vanguard served as a steady reminder of the growth and success of the British Navy even in the midst of a chaotic battle. Bogle likes this metaphor as it relates to how index funds are a steady source of capital growth in the midst of the chaotic and seemingly random fluctuations in the investment world. Bogle's admiration for Nelson goes beyond just this metaphorical meaning, as he even keeps a model of the HMS Vanguard in his office headquarters. There is me in the guise of Admiral Nelson. <laughs> but back to starting the Vanguard Fund. Bogle dreams of making a fund dedicated to creating streams of publicly accessible mutual index investment funds. As Finance Jesus, he makes it his mission to bring people salvation from subpar returns. But what the hell is an index fund? What is this industry that Bogle transforms in a matter of years into one of the most profitable long-term financial solutions? Well, brethren, an index fund is an incredibly simple concept. It is essentially a mutual fund which can be traded at an exchange and has a portfolio constructed to track or match a financial market index, such as the famous S&P 500. You can, you can match the index in a very casual way. This I mean by, if, if um, I don't know, Microsoft is 2% of the index. You just put 2% of the portfolio in Microsoft. Index fund managers build portfolios whose holdings mirror the securities and assets of a particular index, thereby matching the overall performance of that index or market. At the time when Bogle was starting, the growing American market was perfect for getting started on such index funds. The success of index funds over the long term was not reliant on short-term trends to boost speculation. Index funds are useful to investors as they cover a large range of the market and so are good form of diversifying assets. They offer a low bar of entry to buying packages of larger funds and come with low operating and managing cost by their associated funds, typically only a fraction of a percentage of your investment. There are index funds for practically every industry in the world, with index managers actively trying to increase the value of the assets invested into the funds. Warren Buffett infamously is a big fan of this form of passive investment. The best single thing you could have done on March 11th, 1942, when I bought my first stock, was just buy an index fund and, 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 and Never look at a headline, never think about stocks anymore, just like you would do if you bought a farm. You just buy the farm and let the, let the tenant farmer run it for you. And I pointed out that if you'd put $10,000 in an index fund that reinvested dividends, and I paused for a moment to let the audience try and guess how much it amount to, and it would come to $51 million now. This seems fairly obvious now, but at the time John Bogle was among the first in the field to take index funds seriously and enlighten the public. So you see, Bogle was not trying to reinvent the wheel. As Bruce Lee once said, I fear not the man who has practiced 10,000 kicks once, but I fear the man who has practiced one kick 10,000 times. Bogle simply put this philosophy into practice for investments. Instead of trying to win big over a short period of time by taking massive risks as a high-frequency trader, Bogle's approach chooses instead to invest in steady, long-term growth covering the whole market. Investment 
is a pretty simple thing. Investment is owning businesses, or I would say being an inveterate index fund person, owning all of American business, owning every company in America, uh, letting capitalism do its work. Uh, those companies will grow at probably around 7% a year. They'll pay you about a 2.5, somewhat lower than history, but a 2.5% dividend yield. And that should, over time, bail you out of anything that happens because of the wild swings. To launch an index fund, you need to match the investments and performance of a certain market or index over a long period of time. For example, if an index fund is set to match the American market, if a certain sector in the US economy grows by 2%, then the amount of investment into that specific sector is raised by 2%. Index funds do not yield a profit from every single investment, but the idea is to spread out as many eggs in as many baskets to diversify assets and reduce risks, with the hope of bringing slow but steady year-on-year -year profits of 2-5%. Simple yet humble, this method ensures much larger returns over the long term than any beta trading crypto could dream of in the short term you be sure and have a cardiologist in the room because you're going to probably drop over dead. <laughs> they won't be so amazed at how much money they have. But back to how John got here. By leveraging his close ties and many years of service in the Wellington Group, Bogle uses advice and support from members of Wellington to kickstart his own fund, the Vanguard Group. Like his mentor Walter Morgan, Bogle has a knack for spotting developing talent. He convinces fellow Wellington Fund associate John Neff to jump ship <laughs> with him to Vanguard while maintaining his ties to Wellington. Neff is already in charge of Wellington's Windsor Fund, but with the support of Bogle, Neff moves the fund under Vanguard's jurisdiction, becoming the index fund messiah's first apostle. Want to become a 21st century finance messiah too? Damn, so smooth. If you want to become a real-life silverback too, there's just one thing to do for you right now. Join my Discord community and meet other like-minded megalomaniacs, babybacks and nascent baitmans. If you want to build a side venture at some point, listen up. We have channels to get your CV or cover letter reviewed by industry experts, channels to find ideas and co-founders for side ventures that can be built online, cheat sheets on how to build passive income, a career master planning channel, a gorilla after hours hangout and much more. And here's the thing, if you stay in the community for more than three months, you get my side venture toolkit for free. The ultimate guide and community for starting a side venture. It gives you not only literally hundreds of inspirations on what side ventures you can build, but it also gives you detailed instructions how to build the side venture of your choice without needing to code. I guarantee that if you put in the work, this side venture toolkit will help you build a side venture that generates at least 1000 bucks a month. And that's not all, there's going to be some absolutely proper giveaways and freebies for everyone in the future. All links are in the description below. Join now and let's make Megalomania cool again. Back to Bogle. In 1976 Bogle is ready and creates the first index investment trust. 
At this time, the only real index that exists for reference is the Standard & Poor's 500 index. So while Bogle was not the first to try to do this, he definitely was the first to try and market index funds to average everyday investors as a means for gaining wealth long term. It was an unknown business, essentially. Mutual fund industry, two and a half billion at that time. And then now we take in here at Vanguard, just by way of con contrast, about, uh, let me say, five to ten billion a month increase in assets, and we're at two and a half trillion. Uh, I'm not sure how good that is, but it's a long way for one firm to be a thousand times the size of the industry when I looked at it. To finance his fund, Bogle takes out large bank loans, which he's able to do by pitching to the banks an expected IPO of 150 million US dollars. But when he launches his first S&P 500 index, the total amount of money raised is a big disappointment. Only 11 million dollars are raised, far below his expectations. Due to this weak reception, the beta banks ask Bogle to cancel the fund. But Bogle is not ready to give up. He refuses to cancel the endeavor. Instead, he pushes through with only two employees other than himself because he is playing the long game. In the words of Sigma Chat ancient general Sun Tzu, in the midst of chaos there is also opportunity. And by being able to weather through the initial storm of a disappointing IPO, Bogle succeeds. Initially, within its first year, the fund grows only to the chump change of $17 million. But with his ties at Wellington, Bogle catches wind of the poor performance of one of Wellington funds that Vanguard is managing, which now has to be merged with another fund. And like any reasonable investor, he lets his competitors suffer. No, of course not. This is John Bogle, not Jeff Bezos. Sensing the opportunity, Bogle convinces Wellington to merge their fund with his index fund. This is his big opportunity and the assets now managed by Vanguard jump to over 100 million dollars in value overnight. And yet, Bogle waits. Others would use the new high influx of cash to take on crazy projects with potentially gigantic returns, like any true Wall Street bets degen. Instead, Bogle passively keeps the fund on track, delivering steady returns of 3-7% annually to his investors. And his patience pays off. After five years of slow and steady growth, in the increasingly bullish market in 1982, other companies on Wall Street begin to adopt and copy the indexing model pioneered by Vanguard. However, these copycats are not as successful as Bogle because of their emphasis on quick profit margins as they charge higher management fees kind of defeating the purpose of investing in index funds to begin with. This kind of investment is not something every monkey should try and it takes real skill to passively invest. And people like to see, or investors like to see, a tight tracking and so you do all these quantitative things. They're, they're definitely called for, called for you know, quantitative mathematical skills, uh, particularly when they're additions to the index or subtractions. 
John Neff's talent in investing is also a large contributing factor to Vanguard's success at this stage. Neff favors a low price-to-earnings or PE methodology, which encourages lower income and average investors to join the index investing platform. Neff also considers low-tech security analysis as one of the best ways to invest, which involves digging into a company's management and analyzing its records to get an idea of how to best invest its assets. And here is where we run into John Bogle's underlying philosophy that makes him stand out from the finance crowd. Most in the finance sector see themselves as the best in their field, the best risk takers, the best analyzers, the best traders. Bogle is different because he never let a desire for more profit get in the way of his personal code of honor and respect to his clients, preaching the good word of index funds to all who would listen. And I'm not a hero, I'm an ordinary guy, very ordinary guy, who's tried to do my best for investors and who gave a damn about the people who were investing and wanted to make sure they got a fair shake. And if that's heroism, well, so what? So be it. This manifests in his humble character, which is unlike anyone else in the whole industry. And yet, even while being extraordinarily humble, Bogle manages to make more than most people on Wall Street. A real king of kindness. This is not completely out of a sense of goodwill, though Bogle has plenty of that. But Bogle also believes that by letting the investors get their fair share of invested capital back, rather than most of it being sucked away by management fees, it encourages economic growth, investment and a wealthier alternative for everyone. As I say, I've often said, the problem with index funds is all the darn money goes to the investors. And the, the mutual fund business is a business that is people come into the fund business to make money for themselves in their management companies. They want to make money for their investors, sure, but the more the management company takes, the right. less the investor makes. Before we get to Bogle's eight rules for investors and how you might be able to replicate a tiny bit of his success, let's talk about the rise of Vanguard. As expected, the next year's progress reads like a chain of dynamite. 1986, Vanguard launches its second mutual fund, the Total Bond Fund, the first bond index fund ever offered to individual investors. 1987, Vanguard launches its third fund, the Vanguard Extended Market Index Fund, an index fund of the entire stock market, excluding the S&P 500. 1988 Vanguard Target Retirement Fund 1989 Vanguard Pacific and Vanguard Europe You name it, Vanguard invests in it Just like the name, they are now the flagship of the long-term investments industry By the 1990s, Vanguard is one of the largest asset managers in the world Just like today, Bogle's legacy as a silverback is secured I expected it to take off much faster than it did it took 20 years until the mid-90s mid, uh, right. for it to begin to gain real traction. And then it accelerated and the, the growth from 1995 to, to 2016 
has been astonishing and it's sustained. In 1995, John Neff retires after having been in charge of the Windsor Fund for over 31 years. Bogle retires as chairman of Vanguard in 1999, but he's not completely done yet. As of 2022, Vanguard's assets under management total over 8.1 trillion US dollars with over 18,000 employees, a far cry from the three Bogle started with, the company generates 6.9 billion dollars a year. The most impressive part of this accomplishment is that Vanguard charges some of the lowest management fees in the world. Vanguard charges 0.3% of your assets in fees and an annual fee of just $20, a policy started by Bogle. As a comparison, the largest asset manager in the industry, BlackRock, charges a premium of 2.5%. Compared to Vanguard, they are practically sucking your money from your veins. But when you are earning in the trillions, that fraction of a percentage still makes out a juicy profit for Vanguard, while the investors are paid off with the dividends. A true win-win situation. The story of John Bogle proves that you don't have to be unethical to become rich. Gigachad rich. But where there's a profitable business model, there's also competition. The biggest competitor to Bogle's Vanguard is the infamous BlackRock Group. BlackRock is the largest asset management firm in the world with over 10 trillion dollars in assets managed for clients. BlackRock makes an astonishingly higher revenue of 19 billion dollars per year. However, the company also has its finger dipped in a lot of controversies. Its large impact on worsening climate change, the close and non-transparent ties it has with the US Federal Reserve during the COVID pandemic, its anti-competitive behavior towards other similar firms and its large investments in China are all easy things to choose from to criticize the company. While it's true that BlackRock is overall a much larger firm than Vanguard and has ties in all sorts of industries and investments, not just index funds, its focus is on acquiring capital and growing itself. Vanguard manages to do this while keeping the best relationship between itself and its investors and the environment. And so this section comes with a beautiful conclusion. If there's something to take away from this for the aspiring babybacks watching, it's that you can be rich without being an asshole. You are the uh, godfather uh, of index funds aimed at the uh, average investor. Bogle actively involves himself in managing Vanguard until he retires at the company's age of retirement, aged 70 in 1999. He becomes a member of the board of trustees for Blair Academy, the prestigious school that allowed him to go to Princeton and jumpstart his career in investment. While earning millions at Vanguard, Bogle regularly donates half of his salary to charity, including to Princeton and Blair Academy. Like any respectable silverback, John Bogle also has a practical personal philosophy for investing. His eight rules for investors are Firstly, select low-cost funds. 
Secondly, consider carefully the added costs of advice. Thirdly, do not overrate past fund performance. Fourthly, but use past performance to determine consistency and risk. Fifthly, beware of stars, as in star mutual fund managers. Sixthly, beware of asset size. Seventhly, don't own too many funds. Finally, and buy your fund portfolio and hold it. Bogle believes that there is an incredibly important distinction between real investors and what he calls speculators. As Bogle says, real investors are concerned with getting returns in the long term with a low risk of destroying their capital. Speculators, on the other hand, are more concerned over short-term gain with a high risk of destroying their capital. A simple way to think of this is what Bogle calls the bagel and the donut. The bagel and the donut is a talk I gave years ago and I contrasted like the investment world. The bagel is nutritious, and good for you, substantive, uh, while the donut has a certain sweetness and it kind of breaks up and crumbles when you eat it. And uh, so long-term investing, holding on, the uh, strategy I just described is the bagel and short-term speculation is the donut. Just a way of visualizing you know, which you want, which is the best for you in the long run. And sometimes people may think I'd just soon have a couple of donuts, but they're not going to do you any good with all due respect for the donut makers of America. So brethren, what makes index funds such a great investment option? The technology or method is not revolutionary, but index funds allow for steady growth of assets over a long term, which are generally unaffected by short-term events which would otherwise have a catastrophic effect on short-term speculative quote-unquote investors. From the time that Bogle started until now, index funds have become a core part of mutual fund investing and investing in general. 70% of the cash flow, sometimes 100% of the cash flow is going into index funds, which didn't even exist when I came in and when I started Vanguard all those years ago. John Bogle called himself an ordinary man, but his life's accomplishments are extraordinary. Despite his mistakes in managing the Wellington Fund, he is able to maintain a friendly relationship with the group, which helps establish his own brand name as the founder of Vanguard. While speculators all around him make bold claims and hasty investments from the 1970s until the 2000s, John sat patiently building trust and wealth through steady investment. In 2004, John is made a member of the Time 100, joining the ranks of the Dalai Lama and Tiger Woods. In 2019, John Bogle passes away. His net worth? A meager $80 million. The author of The Big Short, Michael Lewis, comments, in the history of Wall Street, the ratio of money touched to money taken was never so high. And that's where it gets interesting. What can we learn from John? From the life of such an underrated legend, the humble messiah of stable returns, there are many valuable lessons we can all learn as aspiring baby backs. 
The first is to learn from your mistakes and hold yourself accountable. When Bogle was fired from Wellington in 1974, he realized ultimately it was from mistakes he was responsible for and adjusted to perform better in the future. Sticking to the simple is another important lesson. Far too often people in the finance and investment sectors go off on crazy ideas and investments. But Bogle was able to make vastly more people rich, including himself, by closing his ears to the commotion of the industry and sticking with the simple yet steady growth of his index funds. However, maintaining strong relationships is perhaps the best lesson to take from John Bogle. Even despite being fired from Wellington, Bogle made sure to maintain good relations with the firm, allowing him to tap into Wellington's talent such as with John Neff, who would go on to serve him well in Vanguard. Bogle would also befriend many famous investors such as Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger throughout his investing career and benefit from their wisdom and exchange. And so the ultimate lesson from finance Jesus Bogle might very well be the best way to defeat an enemy is to become their friend.